Howdy, and welcome to Wise About Texas, the Texas History Podcast. I'm your host, Ken Wise. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in today. Thank you for listening to this podcast. This podcast, this particular episode, is being released in late May 2020, and we are reopening Texas after the 2020 coronavirus pandemic. That's great news for everybody. Everybody's eager to get out and about, uh, taking the appropriate precautions of course and i want everyone listening to this podcast to be safe and healthy so if you're in the risky categories for covid19 make sure that you take all the precautions that you feel you need to take during the this pandemic and the attendant quarantine activities etc i did a series of episodes where i interviewed the site managers of various sites associated with the texas revolution and the feedback i got from around the state was just incredible and some from outside the state people couldn't wait to get out and visit those sites those are all open at this point so get out if you haven't already and visit some of those sites especially the ones you haven't been to and learn a little bit about the texas revolution well you might be able to guess this if you thought about it but uh, i was working on an episode about pandemics in texas because i think we need to It's just too obvious we need to do that. There's been a lot of writing recently about it, and um, people always and should look to history to learn about what to do in unfamiliar situations and and whether pandemics have happened before, and they certainly have. Uh, They've happened since the earliest days of Texas, and I continue to work on that. But I got a little sidetracked the other day. I was listening to a podcast called Austin Found, which is a project of Michael Barnes and J.B. Hager in Austin, Texas. And that podcast discusses Austin history topics, and they do a fantastic job. I probably spend more time in uh, the uh, Austin than any other city that I don't live in, in Texas. And uh, so the Austin history is very interesting and important. Michael Barnes does a column for the Austin American Statesman, and produces an excellent newsletter you can sign up for for free called Think Texas. I encourage you to do that. Uh, I get it every week, and it's really interesting. Always some good articles that, uh, from around the state. Well, the other day I was listening to this podcast, and I heard an episode that mentioned the very sad news that the original Threadgill's restaurant and club in Austin was closing. So I thought you, dear listener, needed to know about Kenneth Threadgill. Now, the reason that he was so important, the Austin music scene, if you'll uh, go back a little bit, about 50 years, and Austin became uh, known as the live music capital in Texas, certainly. Uh, They will tell you the world. And it became known as the birthplace of what we have called through the years redneck rock or progressive country or outlaw country, et cetera, et cetera. And some of the famous stories about Willie's Picnics, the Dripping Springs Reunion. Uh, One of my favorite stories is Willie playing the Armadillo World Headquarters in 1970, looking around and noticing that they had cowboys and rednecks and hippies all together enjoying the music and him calling Waylon Jennings and said, man, you got to get down here and check this out. And the Willie and Waylon phenomenon starts, et cetera, et cetera. That's all true. And uh, you had the rise of Jerry Jeff Walker, we all love. 
Uh, one a little lesser known phenomenon is one guy that was hanging around Austin a lot during this time was Jimmy Buffett, and he actually wrote uh, his famous Margaritaville while he was in Austin. But before Willie or Waylon or any of it, there was Kenneth Threadgill. Kenneth Threadgill was called by some the father of Austin country music, which is a pretty significant title. So let's go back to when Austin was actually weird and get wise about Texas. His actual name was John Kenneth Threadgill, but he went by his middle name, Kenneth, a great name, by the way, for obvious reasons. Born in 1909 in Peniel, Texas, or Peniel, Texas, which is now part of the town of Greenville, northeast Dallas. Kenneth Threadgill grew up in Beaumont and Austin. He went to Austin High School. He idolized Jimmy Rogers and would imitate Jimmy Rogers' famous famous yodeling. He later got to know Jimmy Rogers a little bit, which I'm sure was a thrill. And Threadgill was an entrepreneur. He started, in 1933, he started working at a gas station located at 6416 North Lamar in Austin. He decided to buy the place. And he, uh, now there's some writing that says that Threadgill was a bootlegger during Prohibition. I couldn't independently verify that, but hey, makes a good story. And he probably was. Bootlegging in Austin during Prohibition was a huge industry. The Cedar Choppers west of town would make whiskey, and that's a whole nother podcast episode. Um, So it makes sense that Threadgill might have been involved in a little bit of that. Um, But he decided to uh, buy this gas station. And he was in line for the very first beer license the day Prohibition ended. So he opened up this place and called it Threadgill's Tavern. And he still sold gasoline, but he also sold food and beer. Well, during World War II, he closed the place. Uh, He was a welder by trade, and he welded for the war effort. But he never gave up his music. He was a musician, and he had, a, like I said, particular fondness for the old country and Jimmy Rogers and the yodeling. And uh, he kept playing around Austin, even though uh, his place was closed. He would still play music around. And there's a real cool story from Threadgill's life about a place called the Dessau Dance Hall, D-E-S-S-A-U. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. Uh, Folks in Austin tend to pronounce things their own way, as they do in Houston, too. Uh, So I'm going to call it the Dessau Dance Hall. It was an old, one of those old German dance halls. There are dozens and hundreds around the state. It was built in 1876, burned in the 40s, rebuilt uh, with a unique feature. There's a big pecan tree in the middle of the dance floor that went up through the roof. Uh, it was a very popular place, Dessau Hall. Uh, lots of famous people played there. Bob Wills played there. Patsy Cline played there. Even Elvis Presley played the Dessau Hall. Well, one night, Hank Williams was coming through. And he was running a little bit late. So Threadgill got up and sang some Hank songs to warm up the crowd. Well, the story is that Hank walked in while Threadgill was singing his famous lovesick blues and got a kick out of it and that he and Threadgill got to be friends. Another good Threadgill story is, uh, you know, he was. this is a little trivia. He was on the bill at Willie Nelson's first Fourth of July picnic. Now, Willie had a festival in 1972, and he called it the Dripping Springs Reunion. Uh, so that was not technically a 4th of July picnic, but he threw later through the first of what became legendary 4th of July picnics. And on the bill for this first picnic 
were such people as Chris Christofferson, Tom T. Hall, Leon Russell, Ray Price, Ernest Tubb, Doug Somm, a bunch of others. One one band that played was called the Nightcrawlers and had a young guitarist named Stevie Ray Vaughan. Well, the other another guy on the bill was Kenneth Threadgill, so that's some pretty heady company and shows you how important Threadgill was as a musician. So let me mention a little bit about Threadgill's in the 60s, which is really the heyday, and what, what he created there. One thing he figured out was that there was a gold mine in Austin, and that was called the University of Texas, so he catered to the college kids. One of the funny stories that I dug up was the night after Bob Wills died, Threadgill was on stage. Now, he would play at his place from time to time. He was on stage, and uh, he asked for a moment of silence and played San Antonio Rose after that moment of silence in tribute to Bob Wills. And there was a reporter there, and he interviewed a UT student in the crowd. And this is what that student said. Quote, I never thought much of Bob Wills, but if Mr. Threadgill thinks so much of him, he must be pretty good. Mr. Threadgill generally knows who's good and who isn't. Well, I guess Bob Wills is pretty good, and I guess Mr. Threadgill knew that. So there's no telling what that story shows you. There's no telling how many people were influenced for the better and musical tastes expanded for the better by Kenneth Threadgill. And what he would do is he would run these Wednesday night, he called them hootenannies, and it was basically, we call them an open mic today. And in one interview, Threadgill said, well, you know, we just had nail kegs and whiskey kegs, and we'd sit around on these... Uh, kegs with a little microphone that we'd pass around and he'd let anybody play and sing if you had the guts to do it and so uh, one guy as a matter of fact that hung out at Threadgill's was uh, named Bill Malone and as a student he wrote a dissertation in history and his dissertation uh, became was published and became a very famous book called Country Music USA and he got to be a recognized country music historian in fact if you, re- if you watch the uh, recent Ken Burns documentary, an excellent several-part documentary on the history of country music, Bill Malone is interviewed quite a bit um, during that documentary. Well, he would hang out at Threadgill's back then. So that just shows you what, uh, how important a scene it was, and uh, not just for Texas, but for America and certainly for Austin. But the most famous story to come out of Threadgill's really involves the time that a young female hippie singer from Port Arthur came into the club. And we didn't know it at the time, but she was on her way to superstardom. And Threadgill and his band would usually play on the weekends. His band, by the way, was originally called the Hootenanny Hoots, which I just think is wonderful. Um, But on Wednesday, as I mentioned, he had those those hootenannies, those open mics, and uh, you had a really mixed crowd for those things. You had those UT students, but you had hippies, and I'm talking about real hippies. Uh, you had the cedar choppers from west of Austin. Uh, you had the working stiffs. You had whomever liked good country music. Um, and then every now and then a yodel or two from Kenneth Threadgill himself. Well, one one night, a young hippie girl come, came in and sang, and, and some say that she actually shouted, uh, singing was a loose term for what she was doing, but she uh, sang the classic silver thread and golden needles, but her voice was going to take some getting used to. In fact, there's a legend that Threadgill once gave her two free beers if she would not singing. Well, that girl's name was Janice Joplin. 
she and Threadgill got to be good friends and such good of friends that, uh, of course, the, the end of the story is Joplin went on to San Francisco and became a superstar. But she and Threadgill uh, maintained their relationship. And in 1970, they were throwing a big birthday party for Kenneth Threadgill's called the KT Jubilee. And Janice canceled a big gig to fly all the way from Hawaii to Austin just to be present and sing for Kenneth Threadgill. Unfortunately, in 1970, just a few months after the KT Jubilee, Janis Joplin would be dead. Threadgill always uh, remembered her. He carried a picture of a young Janis Joplin in his wallet till the day he died. It's, it's a picture that she didn't really look anything like the popular how we remember Janis with her big glasses and long hair. She was holding the Lone Star leaning up against an old pickup. It's a great picture. Um, Threadgill always had a lot of affection for her and Janis Joplin always credited Kenneth Threadgill with giving her her start. Now, that was 1970. Willie was just about to hit the stage at the Armadillo World headquarters, which, of course, everybody points to as bringing rednecks and hippies together, and it certainly did that. Um, but Kenneth Threadgill really kind of had already done it, and I'm not taking anything away from Armadillo World headquarters in that scene. That was, that was an incredibly important scene, but I'm just pointing out that Threadgill was instrumental in uniting those two uh, different crowds. In fact, uh, later in his life, he grew, Threadgill grew his hair long. His hair was white, but uh, he grew it long like uh, LBJ did after he left the presidency. Uh, he even had uh, a mix of people, old fiddlers and young hippies in his band. His band, by the way, was named the Velvet Cow Pasture. Um, of course, you'll, if you're of a certain age, you'll remember a band back then called the Velvet Underground, but uh the Velvet Cow Pasture. Somebody asked Threadgill once how he came up with that. He said, well, I can't think of anything smoother than velvet or anything more country than a cow pasture. So that was the Velvet Cow Pasture. Uh, Threadgill closed Threadgill's in 1974. The city of Austin wanted him to make some modifications and remodel to the building, but it was going to be too expensive. Now, he eventually relented and saved the building, saved it from being torn down by doing some work, but he never opened it back up. But it was too iconic to uh, not get opened back up. So the owner of Armadillo World Headquarters, another critical player in the Austin music scene, and um, if he listens to this and hears this, I hope he'll reach out and maybe we can get another podcast going, Eddie Wilson. Eddie Wilson bought Threadgills in 1981, and he opened it. He opened it as a restaurant, and it was a good restaurant, as a matter of fact. Um, He opened a second location of Threadgills uh, in the southern part of Austin in 1996. Um, there was a reporter from the LA Times that called Threadgills Austin's first Austin-themed restaurant, which I think is a great quote. But Threadgill was still singing, even though he was out of the business. Um, in fact, in 1980, his buddy Willie Nelson got him involved in the movie Honeysuckle Rose. Honeysuckle Rose was a movie uh, starring Willie, basically about Willie. And... Um, it was written by Bill Whitliff, rest his soul. Whitliff also wrote the screenplay for Lonesome Dove. Perhaps you've heard of that. And uh, there's a family reunion scene in that movie where Kenneth Threadgill sings. So go uh, watch Honeysuckle Rose and you can see him singing Coming Back to Texas. Uh, he also had a very small bit part in the movie Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. Well, Kenneth Threadgill died in 1987. You know, musicians need one very important thing to further their careers, and that's a place to play. And for many years, Kenneth Threadgill gave him that place to play. 
he gave Austin a place to hear musicians, not just Janis Joplin, but countless others that got the opportunity to play, to listen, to be influenced, maybe to be inspired. And Austin was better for it. And I'll say this, in my judgment, without Kenneth Threadgill, the Austin music scene would never have become what it became. He was that important to its development. For a great many years, the two Threadgill restaurants and Eddie Wilson kept his legacy in front of the public's mind, which is very important. Unfortunately, uh, the southern Austin location had to close because Austin's property taxes got out of hand. And after this recent government lockdown in 2020, owner Eddie Wilson announced that the original Threadgills would close permanently too. A sad, a, a tragic event uh, uh, and a tragic end for another piece of Austin's soul. But we'll always remember Kenneth Threadgill and the days when Austin was weird. Well, now we come to that segment I call Getting There. I'll tell you just how you can see a couple of the places. The first thing I'm going to do is a little bit off. I'm going to tell you to go online. Go online to threadgills.com, and uh, you, the store there is still open. You can get a T-shirt. You can get Eddie Wilson's memoir uh, about the uh, Armadillo World Headquarters and his career and his uh, in the Austin music scene, which is very interesting. And you can get a little memento. Unfortunately, you can't visit Threadgills. You could drive by and take a picture at 6416 North Lamar, and you know what? I think I will do exactly that. I read somewhere, and I didn't verify this before I turned on this microphone, but that uh, Eddie is going to auction off uh, some of the stuff out of Threadgills sometime this summer, so stay tuned for that. I know I will. I'll be there um, to bid on some of that. It's really important to Texas and the music scene. Uh, Dessau Hall was at uh, 13422. Desal Road uh, in Austin, and uh, it's not there anymore. But that's where it was located. If you want to drive by that address, uh, you'll you'll see uh, at least the land where a lot of important people played. Kenneth Threadgill is buried in the Oakwood Cemetery Annex in Austin. Uh, the Oakwood Cemetery is at 1601 Canal Road. Uh, I'm going to do something a little bit unusual during this segment also i'm going to tell you about a couple of books i don't often do this because i want you all to go find books that interest you on these topics now privately if you email me at host at wiseabouttexas.com i'm happy to share reading suggestions on a variety of topics i do that at least once a week with a listener uh, so feel free to email me but i'm going to go ahead and tell you about a couple of books that you need to read i mentioned eddie wilson's memoir about armadillo it's called armadillo world world headquarters and uh, you can get a kindle version on amazon and you can get the hardback version from the Threadgills website. A couple other books. Um, Jan Reed wrote a book called The Improbable Rise of Redneck Rock. It talks about the uh, Austin music scene in the 70s. Lots about Kenneth Threadgill in there. And, of course, Armadillo World Headquarters and the Fourth of July picnics and all that. And another book, a little more recent, by Joe Nick Potosky, well-known Texas writer. is called Austin to ATX, and it's kind of a... It's the story of how Austin went from uh, what it was to what it is. And uh, I really enjoyed that book because I started going to Austin in the 70s as a little kid. And so I saw some of this. I wasn't as much a part of it then, but um, now I'm there all the time uh, with government business and and judge stuff and uh, watched it change through the years. And and Joe Nick's book is a great uh, sort of survey of how Austin has changed over the years. So check that out too. 
Well, that'll wrap it up for this episode of Wise About Texas. I'll get that pandemic episode going. Talk about some of that in Texas history. Uh, go find us on Instagram or Twitter at Wise About Texas. Like and share the Wise About Texas Facebook page. Keep your suggestions for topics coming in at host at wiseabouttexas.com. And if you want to support the preservation and promotion of Texas history, you can go to patreon.com slash wiseabouttexas and do just that. I hope everybody's doing well, getting ready for the summer. Uh, Go out and do something for Texas today. And until next time, God bless Texas, and we'll see you down the road.